Father, you are great and mighty. We are here today to worship you, to exalt your name, to, to leave Jesus Christ on the throne where he should be, that we would not take him down and put ourselves in his place, Father, but that we might live honestly and sincerely before you. Father, we can only imagine what it will be like someday to be in your presence for eternity, to bow down, to worship you. Father, help us to practice well for that day. Help us to exalt you, to lift your name on high, and we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Open God's word with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 36. Chapter 2, verse 36. So wait a minute, Pastor, we left off on verse 13 last week. Well, we're going to go backwards, so hang with me here, right? Peter's preaching here, and the the theme of his message is found in verse 36 of chapter 2. There let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Christ both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Ouch. Ouch. He didn't spare any words. Because it was his own countrymen that killed Jesus, and he knew it. They were looking for a king. And here in verse 36, it says that God had made him Lord. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet they did not accept him for who he was. They wanted a spiritual Savior. He was the Messiah. They didn't recognize Him as such. And so Peter's calling them out here. He says, guys, our Heavenly Father declared Christ to be Lord and Messiah, and you crucified Him. You rejected Him on all accounts. I know when the movie The Passion of Christ came out, I don't know how many years ago now, but, but Mel Gibson, made, he was the producer, and he made a comment about how the Jews had killed Jesus and what an uproar it called, caused. That's what happened, folks. That's what God's Word says. But at the same time, you and I know that it was our sin that put him there as well just happened to be the Jews that did the actual physical crucifixion. The Romans did it, but at the Jews' insistence. But you and I are just as much as responsible. Because it was our sin that put him on that cross. All right. That's that's the end of the message there. Now we're going to back up, okay? His, His... Sermon, Peter's sermon starts in verse 14. 
How did, how did we get there? What do we know about Peter? Turn with me to Matthew 14, if you would. We're going to do a little character study on Peter here just for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 14. This story is begins in verse 22. I'm not going to read it all. The disciples are in a boat in the middle of the night, and they see a ghost walking towards them on the water. And you and I both know it wasn't a ghost, but it was Jesus coming towards them. Verse 26, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost! They cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, being the shy, quiet kind, says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Isn't that what happens to all of us when we take our eyes off of Jesus and start looking at our surroundings? We start looking at ourselves. My wife must have gone in the nursery. Okay. She, she told me that I have to give her credit. It's not, this isn't mine. And I, she got it from one of her ladies' Bible studies sometime. And we always, we always point the finger at Peter and saying, oh, you of little faith. What, what about the 11 other 11 guys? They were still in the boat. Peter was the only one that was willing to step out in faith. So don't, don't be too hard on Peter here. But we, we know too that we all take our eyes off of Jesus from time to time. And then we get that sinking feeling. For Peter, it was a very literal, literal sinking. But we don't, when, when, we, when we don't leave him on the throne, and we begin to look at our circumstances, and we begin to look at ourselves, we're going to sink too. But Peter, he, he had the faith and he stepped out. Got to look back. Uh, John chapter 13 Keep keep your finger in Matthew there, because we're going to go back to 26 in a minute. But John chapter 13. Specifically in Acts, remember we talked about Leviticus 23 and the different feasts, and that the Passover feast was the Old Testament looking forward to the crucifixion. The, the, the crucifixion of the perfect lamb, perfect lamb of God. Well, this is the, the Passover that they are celebrating. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he shard out of this world to the Father, having loved his own in the world, he loved to the end. And during supper, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God, and that he was going back to God, 
rose from supper and laid aside his garment, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. He poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to to wipe with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And again, Simon Peter, he, Peter's one of these guys, he's all or nothing. He's, he's all in or you get nothing, okay? It's, it's one or the other. And, and, you know, that's the way Christ would like us to be. He, he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. Kind of trying to put one foot over here in, in his camp and then one foot over here in the world. He would rather we be hot or cold, not lukewarm. But verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter says, don't just do, just don't do my feet, Lord, because I, I want to be there with you. I want to have a part of you in, in eternity. So it's not this or that, it's full speed ahead. So we, we're getting a little idea of Peter and, and his... Uh, his personality, back to Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 31. Okay, wow, sorry. We won't, we won't take the time to read all this, but the, the section 31 to 35 is when they're preparing for the Passover feast. And after they, they, um, Jesus is talking to them, and he says, truly, and he's talking to Peter in verse 34, truly I say to you that this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three, three times. Peter says, no, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing, too. So again, he's, he's all in or he's all out, but he's all in. He says, Lord, I'm not going to deny you. No way would I deny you. Okay, let's go back to our training. Our fire extinguisher training, why do we do it? We practice so that when we need it, we don't have to think about it. We just react and we do it. So, have you been practicing? Five guys walk in with machine guns and says, if you're not a Christian, leave, because we're going to kill everybody that stays here that says they're a Christian. What are you doing? Are you getting up and walking out? Or are you staying? Where's, where's your faith? Okay, and I think every one of us would have wanted to say with Peter that night, Lord, never. We, we will never deny you, Lord. We just wouldn't. I know in my heart I wouldn't. A couple hours later, verses 69 to 75 of Matthew 26 there. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean. 
But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. And Peter began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the cock crowed. And Peter remembered the words with which Jesus had said, Before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He didn't just feel a little remorse. He wept bitterly. How, how many of you have wept bitterly over your sins? I mean, I, I, I think one of the, probably the closest things I can, I can think to, to that strength of weeping I've ever done was when my son, we were in Belgium, my son hit his head on a, on a radiator and it just, just swelled right up. And Beth took him to the hospital. It was like late at night. And she had to go down to a, a French hospital. And Beth didn't know any French. And I'm laying on the bed. What if my son dies? I mean, you want to talk about weeping? You want to talk about crying? That was some strong emotion there. Oh, that I would weep over my sin like that. Peter here wept bitterly when he realized that he had done what Jesus said he would do in betraying him. I'd like to, I'd like to think if somebody came in, I'd say, go ahead, shoot me. I know, I know where I'm going. God's got it. I pray it never comes to that, but maybe someday it will. Who knows? Maybe, it'll just, maybe it will just be prison. Am I willing to stand up for Christ to go to prison? Peter, here, again, he's all in or he's all out. He vehemently denied Christ. He cursed. I don't, I don't know the man. Why do you keep insisting that I know that man? And then the cock crows and he remembers. And he weeps bitterly. One, one is as strong as he denied Christ. He wept over his sin of turning his back on the Savior. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And we, we've gone over this, so I'm not going to read the passage, but verses 15 to 26 of Acts chapter 1. We see... We see Peter taking a leadership role. <coughs> Excuse me. We see Peter taking a leadership role in the group selecting Matthias to be the twelfth disciple to take Judas's place. But Peter, you know, his his personality because God led him. Whatever seems to be one of the leaders of the group. Uh, the, the, the three that all usually are at the head of the class are Peter, James, and John. But here we're going to, in the first uh, 12 or 13 chapters of Acts, we're going to see Peter at the, at the forefront in, in his work in ministry for the gospel of Christ. So at the end of chapter 1, 15 to 26 there, 
Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a group of about 120 persons. The scripture has, has, has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Do you remember why there had to be 12? You, you, you just couldn't go with the 11. There had to be the 12th. So anybody, go, go ahead and answer if you remember. Okay, Matthew. What's that? There you go. The 12 thrones, not in heaven, but on the earthly reign with Christ during the millennium. And Christ talks in Matthew that there, there has to be the 12, so they couldn't leave that seat vacant. They needed to fill that seat. And Peter stepped forward to be the leader of that group. So obviously, Peter, he's, he's all in or he's all out. He's a very strong personality, willing to stand up and take the lead willing to step out of the boat in the middle of the night and walk on the water to Jesus. But he's human just like us because when he takes his eyes off Christ, as much as we'd like to think we wouldn't deny Christ, some of us will. Some of us will. It's the law, I don't know, you want to say law of averages, whatever? Some of us will deny Christ when the time comes. Don't let it be you. Don't let it be you. Be ready. Be prepared. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're looking here in Acts. As we we get into... Chapter 2, and and try to catch up with Peter's sermon. Last week we we talked about, in verses 5 to 13, we we talked about the 12 or 13 different parts of our geography and history lesson. We had the maps up, and they talking where all the Jews that had come back from different captivities living in Jerusalem now. And remember, this day is a holy feast. It's Pentecost. So those that cared were at the temple, and they heard the sound of the mighty... The mighty okay, I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It wasn't actually a wind. It was a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it's the the arrival, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. But just before that, now I'm getting, I'm sorry. That's the problem with going backwards and then you want to try to go forwards is is making it meet and finding where you're at in the middle. Sorry about this. Um, (laughs) Okay, here we go. So they've began speaking in the other dialects. Everybody, especially those that are foreigners, are hearing somebody proclaim God in their own language. And in chapter 2, verse 6 and 12, it says they were bewildered, they were amazed, they marveled. They were. Uh, they continued in amazement and great perplexity. Verse 12, they were trying to figure out what's going on. How in the world do these fishermen... Know my language from Egypt. 
or from Cappadocia or wherever they came from in, in that list in verse 9 and 10. All these, all these different outlying areas. They're hearing the word of God proclaimed in their own language. And they say, what's up? So we get to verse 13. Acts chapter 2, verse 13. But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. They're drunk. Now, who do you think said that? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I, my, my money's on the Pharisees. Because they, they, they had rules about this kind of thing, right? They had more rules than you could write. So my, my money's on the Pharisees. And I'm not going to die for that one, okay? <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just kind of speculating that, that that's who I think it might be. When you have, when, when God is at work, and you have the Holy Spirit doing His work, you will be persecuted. People will mock you. People will make fun of you. Because they feel awkward. Because they know they're not right. And, and there, I mean, we, we all, there, there's a, a definition out there of confidence. The definition of confidence is how little I react when falsely accused. Okay? And, and that confidence comes from, from knowing where we are in Jesus Christ. But being confident, if, if you accuse me of something that I know I didn't do, I don't need to blow up and get excited because the truth will sort itself out. But if I know I'm wrong, in, in my, my humanness, in my old nature, if I'm not confident in my position in Christ, then I'll blow up. I'll become defensive. I'll give excuses. I'll make excuses. Anybody here ever make excuses? No. Don't, don't raise your hand. Because I, I know I never do, so I wouldn't expect you to either. We, we make excuses to cover up. So we don't look bad in other people's eyes, Right? That's what's going on here. And the Pharisees, they knew they weren't fair. They, they knew their rules were outside of God's word. All the, all the things they made up for people to follow. There was a bunch of man-made rules. Guys, we need to follow God's word more than we need to follow man-made rules. Now, as, as, as best as we can, we need to live peaceably with all men. We need to pay our taxes to Caesar. We need to obey the laws of the land. But if it comes down and there's a problem, a, a conflict between God's laws and man's laws, we need to follow God's laws. Because God is the one on the throne. God is the king. You remember from Nehemiah? Proverbs 21.1, God is the one, a man's heart are like the rivers of the channels of the water. And you know what? God is the one that controls that. God controls the heart. God controls who's sitting in the White House in Washington, D.C. He's in control of that. 
So we don't we don't need to worry about that. He he is on the throne. And we, we can be confident. And as as like I say, I think it was the Pharisees in verse 13 there, that they were mocking and saying that they're full of sweet wine. And and guys, flip turn to Philippians 2. I, I am gonna preach this probably the day I die, I'll be preaching this. And I'm never going to stop preaching it. And every time I have a chance to interject it wherever we are in God's Word, I'm going to bring us back to this passage because it's so critical. Remember, we were talking that when the, 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 the loud sound of the Holy Spirit, the, the loud, ferocious wind sound that came through the temple, that in different parts of the temple, the Pharisees were meeting, the Sadducees were meeting, and at least 120 that we know of here were meeting. And that wind got everybody's attention. But why weren't they meeting in one place together? Why were they so separated even in the temple? I always think think of Saul when he was persecuting the Christians. He thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was doing, in the name of religion, he thought he was doing right, as wrong as he was. We know about the Crusades, and what an excuse they were talking about excuses. What an excuse they were. There was division among the Jews. Why were they why were they so divided in the temple? Philippians chapter 2. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you guard, regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. Therefore, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, if we will humble ourselves and become obedient to God's word, 
if the Jews had done that, there would not have been different sects meeting in different parts of the temple. They'd have been one. They'd have been one in their, in their worship of God. They'd have been one in spirit. They'd have been one in love. They would have been united, intent on one purpose. And that purpose is Jesus Christ. We get so hung up on me. Folks, I know I've said it a million times and I'll say it a million more. This is not about you. This is not about me. This is about Jesus Christ. It's about His name and His name glorified. And had the Jews followed this equation, shall we say, there would have been unity in their body, in the way that they worship Christ. Do you find denominations in the Bible? I don't find Lutheran mentioned. I don't find Methodist or Episcopalian or, or Catholic or Baptist or whatever. You're not going to find it in here, guys. Just the division that the division that's that's in the evangelical or the Protestant, whatever we want to call it. Satan laughs every day all the way to the bank because there is so much division, because we can't be of one mind. Can you imagine the power? I mean, we know the power of the Holy Spirit, but can you imagine the power if believers came together under God's word? The force that we would be to reckon with when it comes to, you name it, any, any of our social or moral woes that we want to, we want to say. But we can't because we don't get it right because we're too concerned about me. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's, we are to be of one mind. It's not your mind, and it's not my mind that we are to find unity over. It is the mind of Christ. And if we can get that straight, if we can get that right, there is nothing that the Holy Spirit won't do through us. In the name of God, for His glory. Matthew 6, talking about letting our light so shine that men may know our good works. Why? So that God will be glorified. Not that we would receive the glory. In Nehemiah, when they got the walls built, chapter 6, don't know the verse number, but I know it's right here on my Bible, down bottom left of the page to it. Nehemiah 6, that the people stopped, that the outs, people outside of the Jews stopped and looked, and they said, 
Their God is working for them. And oh, that that would be the, the, the scenario of what people in Newberry say about seeing this addition going back on the building after all we tore down last summer. Their God is doing it for them. We have nothing to pat ourselves on the back for. All we're doing is giving back to God the resources that he gave us because they're his. They're his anyhow. And the people in Newberry, I pray, will see that and say their God is working. It's their God that's doing that. And if they're not, then we're messing up. We're doing something wrong. Because the focus needs to be on our Heavenly Father. Acts chapter 2. But others were mocking, saying they're full of sweet wine. And here goes Peter. You, 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 you ever have somebody that, when they, when they stand up and start talking, you, you some, you're not sure if you should cringe or praise the Lord? Kind of like, oh boy, what's coming next? What are they going to say? Is this going to be kind of embarrassing? Or, you know, can I? Peter's not worried about that because he's not worried about his reputation. He's not worried about what people are going to say or think about him. Peter's taking a stand with the 11. And again, we've already talked about that. The 11, Peter was one of the 12, but he, he was with the other 11. He raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Wake up, people. Listen. Listen to what I have to say. Just as those other 119 that were there were speaking in other dialects through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were Galileans. They'd never, they'd, none of them had their PhDs. They hadn't gone to university. They were fishermen. They certainly weren't stupid, but they weren't educated either. The other 119 have been speaking other dialects so people could hear, and, and they were sharing and talking about what God had done. They were, they were talking about God. They weren't talking what God had done to them. They weren't talking what they had done with Jesus in the last three years. They were giving God glory. They were praising His name. And now Peter has a chance, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to stand up and say, come on guys, you know they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now how many, when, when Don was reading the scripture this morning out of Joel, how many of you were scratching your head saying, why is he reading Joel? What does that have to do with anything? Because it's a quote directly from Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and that prophesy is not forth, is not foretelling the future. That prophesy is foretelling about God. Because the, the, the thing that Joel is talking about here is at the very end of the millennium. The, the only thing coming next is eternity with God in heaven. So what do they have to prophesy about? 
There's nothing to foretell, to, to predict the futures is what people think to prophesy. This prophesy here is they're, they're exclaiming about God. They're proclaiming God, okay? Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky above. <coughs> Excuse me. I get too excited and then I get dry. Sorry. Verse 19, I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me read that verse again and see if we can practice an Ezra and Nehemiah here. That's what we'll call it. It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, now guys, you you need to do that spontaneous on your own without me coaching and coaxing you, okay? Because it's God's word, not mine. But whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And and guys, the, the whole point of Joel here and Joel being quoted has nothing to do with the, the, the future events here. Okay? And you're like, why in the world did he go back and quote Job? Or Joel, excuse me, not Job, Joel. Because he's drawing a comparison that the way that the Holy Spirit is poured out here in Acts chapter 2 is the way that the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out then. The Spirit's ministry will continue on. It doesn't end, okay? It's, it's going to continue on, and at the end of time as we know it, before we step into eternity, the Holy Spirit is still going to be ministering with power and with might, okay? This, we're not going to interject a, a eschatology lesson here with everything and break down everything Joel said and, and what's going to happen when and how, because that's not the point. The point here is that the same Holy Spirit that empowered the Galileans to speak different dialects so that everybody could hear God's the, the God's word and the, and the praising of God's name in their own language is the same Holy Spirit that's going to be working at the end of the millennium right before we step into eternity with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. There, there will always be dissenters. There will always be those that, that, because Satan puts them there. There will always be those that, that tear down God's work. Because that's not to Satan's advantage. As we, you, you can listen to many different preachers in that, but, um, in men's Bible study, Saturday mornings, we're studying Daniel, and we're using one of David Jeremiah's books. He's got a lot of, he spends a lot of time looking to the future and, and God's word and coming events and, and what's coming. And, and one of the thoughts that, that came to me as I was studying before last month's lesson was that 
through, through time, at any given moment, Satan has had to have somebody ready to be the Antichrist. Because when the tribulation starts and the Antichrist steps up to do his thing, he's, he's not going to be a three-year-old baby. Okay, like at the beginning of the tribulation, he's not going to be born in three and a half years, be the, be the Antichrist. Or, or work in that three. There, there's, Satan has had through time, has always had somebody ready to be the Antichrist. You know, there's some that think that in his time, maybe Hitler. Could have been. But he, he's got somebody prepared all the time to step up and in to be the Antichrist. Guys, Satan's at work. We are in a battle. Ephesians 6, it's a conflict. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities, powers that be. Satan's at work. He's always working to try to defeat Christ because he knows, one, his time is short, and he knows what happens at the end of that time. Satan's at work. He's always been at work. Do we, we don't need to live in fear of that. But we need to be aware of that. That he is at work. Any given moment, there is somebody right now, alive today, that is, is somewhere politically in the realm that could step in to be the Antichrist tomorrow. Does that kind of make the hair raise on the back of your arms? Or uh, front of your arms, whatever. But it's true. We're, we're in a battle, folks. We're in a battle. And, and Christ could come back today. He could come back 20 years from now. He could come back 2,000 years from now. But at any time through time, Satan has somebody ready. So we need to be ready. And how can we be ready? By having the mind of Christ. By worshiping him. Matthew, I'm not thinking the reference right off the top of my head right now, but Matthew says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before the Father. So how many of us, and there will be some of us, that will deny, just like Peter did, will deny Christ? Are you prepared to stand firm? Are you prepared to weather the storm? And guess what? The only way to get more ready is to spend more time in the Word. It's to spend more time in prayer. It's to spend more time looking there, looking at our Heavenly Father and not at ourselves, not at circumstances around us. God's got it, guys. God's got it. He's going to take care of us. But the way for us to stand firm is to be of the mind of Christ, to humble ourselves. That's the only way that the Holy Spirit is going to work in our lives. That's the only way we're going to be able to yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit might use us, that the Holy Spirit can work through us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks. The battle is real. And, and I know the, the, the looks I'm getting back, some of you have never thought of the fact that, 
And, and I hadn't, I'll be honest with you, I hadn't until a couple of months ago never thought of the fact that the Antichrist is probably, if not alive today, there's some that are being prepared by Satan to step into that position at different times throughout. The battle's real, folks. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that we have. We, we don't need to live in fear. Father, we can live in victory in Jesus Christ. And we should live in victory every day. Father, help us. Help us. Give us wisdom. Give us faith. And Father, please give us humility. Teach us to be of one mind, to be of your mind in everything that we do and say. Not that we walk around in straitjackets like the Pharisees trying to follow every rule, but that we can live in the, in the victory of Jesus Christ, Father. Thank you for being such a mighty and great God. And thank you for your great love for us, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.